Uh, so Romans 13, 1 through 7. I'm going to read it all and then we'll start unpacking it verse by verse by verse. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that, have, those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And you can see why this is going to be a powder keg of a message. Taxes, submitting to the government, uh, resisting government, and receiving wrath from God. This is going to be awesome. So my aim here is to literally at some point offend all of you. Okay, And here's why I want to do that. If I only offend those who might lean to the left a little bit, then I've done a terrible job. If I offend only those who lean to the right a little bit, I've done a terrible job. You know why? Because the Bible should not fit into nice, tight, left, right categories. Okay, Your political parties, platform, and promises, not, not the right or left, do they line up with Scripture. There's a lot of overlap. Okay, And just so you know, we as Christians are disciples of Christ and our identity is in him first before any other sub-identity, including uh, the donkey or the elephant. Okay, Or if you're an independent, I know there's some of you in here, I love you guys, my man, at least one of them back there like, yeah. What are you, Brett? Are you, uh, what's your animal? Are you the lizard king? Okay. A snake, all right, he's a snake. That's a great Genesis 3 animal. Watch out for those snakes, everybody, for they are cursed. I love you, Brett. All right, so a couple, a couple introductory marks before we jump into the actual text, okay? Number one, eternal, and this is gonna be important as we unpack uh, these verses here. Number one, eternal city church, nor any of its pastoral elders, advocate for a theonomist political position. Okay, now many of you are like, what in the world is a theonomist political position? Well, uh, Andrew T. Walker, who wrote a great book on the transgender debate, and he wrote a new book called Liberty for All on Religious Liberty, uh, wrote this fantastic article called American Culture is Broken and Theonomy is Not the Answer, or Is Theonomy the Answer? Question mark. And it it's not, okay? He takes a non-theonomy view. But here's what Andrew would say it is. Listen close. Theonomy seeks to apply the civil law of Moses, so the laws guarding uh, civil life in the Old Testament under God's rule before King Saul and King David. Uh, Israel was under a, a theonomy system of government. So theonomy seeks to apply the civil law of the Mosaic Covenant to contemporary civil government. Theonomists wish for civil government not only to take its directives from Christianity, but also to craft specific law in shadow of the Old Testament. Okay? None of the elders here advocate theonomy, nor do I think it's a good position to hold. Okay? Now, we have various views as elders on politics and policy and government, but you'll not hear any kind of theonomy coming from this church. And there are many churches who have uh, surfaced as of, we'll say, 2020 and are calling for theonomy as uh, the only Christian way to go. Okay? And we would say, no, we do not agree with that. All right? So that's number one. Number two, everyone is at different levels in their Christian maturity. 
Why does that matter to what we're about to talk about? Listen, every church should have in it, if it's a healthy church, non-Christians, because they're in the worship gatherings and we are seeking to see them saved. And most non-Christians have wild views about everything, right? Then we have baby Christians who they also have wild views about almost everything because they barely know the Bible. We who are maturing, and I want to emphasize that I-N-G, our thinking and our worldview should be continually being formed according to the scripture. This was Eddie's message two weeks ago, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind, my mind as a Christian disciple should be continually molded into the biblical worldview. How should we view the world? How should we view culture? How should we view politics? through the lens of scripture. And all of us are on varying degrees along that maturity line. Therefore, we should be gracious to people in our church who hold wildly different views than we do. Even if we can draw a straight line from text right to specific policies or government movements. You with me? We should never try to smash people with a sledgehammer because they're wrong and I'm right and I got verses. That is not a mature place to be, friends. Rather, we should advocate for unity. In fact, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Okay? One of the things that marks Christian maturity is not a willingness to scrap with people, but a willingness to make peace. In fact, Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? And and we could go on and on. Now, does that mean we should be very loose with our convictions and not have opinions about uh, things happening in culture and government? No, that doesn't mean that. What it means is you can hold your conviction very tightly But when it comes to your conviction versus others' convictions, your view versus others' view, let's show generosity, charity, and love, remembering that you once thought like a pagan too. Right? And and now all of you think you don't think like pagans, but everyone else does. Because we all think we're right. Otherwise, we wouldn't think what we think. Think about that. Everyone thinks they're right, or they wouldn't be thinking the way they're thinking. And so you have to keep that in mind when talking about politics, when talking about culture, when talking about uh, divisions or possible divisions. Okay, number three. This message fits into our third core commitment, which is to unify peoples. Okay, this church from its inception in 2012, when it was imagined, one of our core commitments was to unify peoples across cultures, classes, colors, capacities, including including political views. Now, this one core commitment to unify people has been our most divisive and most explosive core commitment. And how ironic is that? We're aiming to unify people, yet it makes people divide and leave and fight and exposes immaturity, in my opinion. So when, when we do uh, unity and we throw out unity landmines, uh, they've been stepped on many times from my living room all the way to probably last week. And it is what it is. We're not leaving the core commitment. So we believe, just like Jesus believed, that you could take a religious zealot like Simon the Zealot who wanted to overthrow Rome. That was was what he was committed to. And then you could take a Roman tax collector like Matthew, put them in the same camp, have them sleep next to each other around the same fire and expect them to get along and worship Jesus and follow him. You couldn't have more two politically different people sitting next to each other, eating meals and following the same Jesus, right? And so if Jesus can do it with his, two of his closest disciples, my view is he could do it with us, right? Yes, he can, if you didn't know. Now, interestingly, this is the culture we live in, okay? David Platt wrote a great book. I I encourage it. It's called Seven Questions Every Uh, seven questions every Christian should ask before you vote. He said this, the long-held view of politics and religion in the United States is that a person's faith drives their politics. 
In other words, the commonly accepted perspective is that a person's church involvement will determine his or her political views. However, significant research has shown that this conventional view is not true. Not true. Rather, he says, at least not today. In the United States, particularly among the rising generations, people are choosing their political position first and then determining their involvement or increasingly lack of involvement in church. Basically, people uh, self-select into churches or not into churches based on their politics. One prominent study across a variety of churches found that very few people attend church services with other Bible-believing Christians who hold different political views than them. And I would agree with that based on how hard it's been to try to unify people with different political views in this church. Just from my anecdotal evidence, that's true. Okay. And so here's what we're saying at Eternal City. Let's be conformed to the scriptures and let them guide our, our politics. And then let's not divide when we disagree, but rather in a mature way, non-reactively, non-high emotion, non-stress, let's talk about it. You say that's impossible. With the Holy Spirit, nothing is impossible. Okay? And these, the discussions do not happen publicly on social media platforms. These discussions happen best over coffee, over a meal, in someone's living room, that is where these type of things can happen best. We don't go to war in public with fellow church members on social media. Please don't do that. Please. Okay. Now, with those three prefaces, let's go through the text. And my prayer is, you'll come back another day to be offended on another Sunday. All right? I love you guys. I'm half joking, half joking. All right. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Why? Why, Paul? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, I read that very plainly, and what that seems to say is that every authority structure that is, period, is under God's sovereign rule and purpose, even the terrible ones like North Korea and China and Iran and on and on. I could put the political leaders in place, all of them there by God's sovereign purposes. Yes, that means Donald Trump. Yes, that means Joe Biden on purpose by God, regardless of how you think they got in office, whether there was election fraud or not, God had those politicians in the last two elections in place. And whoever gets in in 2024, guess what? It's going to be God's man for his own purposes that we don't get to determine or decide or figure out ahead of time. That's what that says. Now, biblically, the Bible's really clear on this. All right, so here's a few texts, just a few. What are we talking about here? What we're talking about is there is no authority, person or system outside of God's sovereign control and purposes. In other words, God rules through the rulers. He governs through the governors and he sets up both good and bad governments to both bless and punish people according to his good pleasure. That's what I'm saying. Here's some texts. Matthew 28, 18 Jesus came to his disciples. This is right before he ascends. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So here's what I want you to think about. Think about a big circle. And the big circle is God's authority or Jesus' authority. Every smaller authority is inside that big circle. And no one does anything, not even satanic or demonic or angelic, without the permission of the Trinity. And if you want a biblical text reference for that, think of Job. Satan wanted to destroy Job. He had to get permission from God to do all those horrible things to him. Why? Because God has all authority and no one does anything without God's first saying yes or being stopped with a no. And if you don't think God can stop kings and rulers, think about Abimelech in Genesis. Abraham does this stupid 
I'll save myself, move here. And he says, listen, Sarah, please, when we go into these little kingdoms, please pretend you're my sister because you're beautiful and because I have all these possessions, all these people that work for me and all these flocks and herds and all this wealth. If, if they think you're my sister, it'll go well for me. So just pretend for my sake. And she says, okay. And so Abimelech says, oh, you're not married. I'll take her as my wife. And do you remember what happened? Abimelech has a dream at night and God shows up in the dream and says, you're a dead man for you have taken another man's wife. And then Abimelech says, look, I'm innocent. Did he not say she is my sister? And then listen to this. God says, I know you're innocent. That's why I stopped you from laying your hands on her. Isn't that interesting? So Abimelech's intent was to take Sarah as his wife and to have his way with her. And God says, yeah, I stopped you. Point being, God can stop kings at any point he wants to, or presidents, or senators, or congressmen and women. He can stop anything he wants to. And when he doesn't stop a thing from happening, guess what? That was his sovereign purpose that it would happen. It fits into his big overarching plan that no one can figure out ahead of time and no one can kind of trace the dots through history to see what God is doing. We have to trust that he is accomplishing his good and perfect purposes through oftentimes the terrible decision of those in authority. Amen? That God works all things together for good, for those who love him according to his purpose, even terrible political policies, even inflation, even your 401k and your stock markets crashing right now, all for your good. You say, all right, Chris, I think it's about time to wrap up the sermon, isn't it? Right? About time to wrap this up. Wait till we get the taxes at the end. It's going to be awesome. All right, second verse. Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Uh, this is Jesus came to earth, humbled himself, even to obedience to death on a cross, and so therefore God highly exalted him. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And by the way, I, I, I wish I would have took a picture of this. I was in a, a little town in... Uh, Let's see, I think it was Maryland recently. It was like Southern Maryland. And I kid you not, there was this huge mural on the side of this business. And do you know who the two people were? It was Jesus, yes, the white version of Jesus, big old head, and Donald Trump right next to Jesus. And I was like, what in the world am I looking at right now? Like, obviously saying that I don't even know how to interpret that. Is, is Trump the Messiah? I don't know. I, I think a lot of you think he was, but he wasn't, okay? As soon as Biden got in office, he did away with all the executive orders. Therefore, he was not the Messiah. I think it's enough evidence. But I wanted to take a picture of that because I knew I'd be preaching on this. So you just got to imagine what it looked like, okay? So here, Jesus' name is above every name, no matter who your heroes are in politics. At the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow. You know what that means? That means authority recognized. I bow the knee to you. I am below you. Who's going to bow the knee? Every single person who exists. Eventually. Every knee will bow. And then every person is going to confess with their mouth what? That Jesus is Lord. Meaning you rule all things, including me. That's going to happen to everyone. And so my encouragement, according to this text, is let's get that done now so you're not forced to do it later. Recognize his lordship now over everyone and everything, including yourself, so that you don't have to do it by force on judgment day when it's too late. Because the Bible clearly says you will do it. It's either now, willingly, with love and repentance in your heart, or by force, unwillingly, but you will do it in the future. And so these two texts alone say that Jesus is above all earthly authority and all heavenly authority, meaning spiritual rule, angels, and demons. There is no authority that is not above God. He is the big circle and all the little tiny authorities are in his big circle. Amen? And so we can be confident that no matter what is happening on a large nationwide or global scale, that God's got it all under control. Now, that doesn't mean you have to like everything that's going on. 
That doesn't mean you can't protest, and we'll get into that in a minute. That doesn't mean you can't peacefully protest what's going on, okay? But what it does mean is you can have confidence to sleep at night that God is ruling the world and nothing's out of control. Nothing. All right. Here's another verse. Two verses. So Daniel, uh, you know the story. He was a, a Hebrew uh, young guy and Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon comes in by God's doing and takes over and begins to steal people from Israel as a judgment. And Daniel and three of his friends were like high quality young people. Okay. And Daniel comes into the service of Nebuchadnezzar's inner court. And Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that he asks his magicians and diviners and wise men, I, I want you to not just interpret the dream, but I want you to tell me what the dream was. And, and all the magicians of Babylon say, this is, no one can do this but the gods. And he says, all right, then all of you are executed. <laughs> so a death sentence goes out. And you know the story. David, or I'm sorry, Daniel gathers his three friends and he says, let's fast and pray and ask God to reveal the dream and reveal the interpretation. And it happens. It's in Daniel chapter uh, two. I, I encourage you to read it. And Daniel proclaims what we read earlier as the church, that he sets up kings and he removes kings, that he gives wisdom to the wise and understanding and reveals the secrets. We read that as a church earlier with Aunt Diane. Okay? Now here in chapter four, what's happening is uh, Nebuchadnezzar is confessing what he's learned about God after God revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar. And, and he says, how great are his signs? How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Kingship means one person rule. Monarchy, kingship, God. And so God is ruling through every earthly kingdom and nation. All of them. His dominion, that means domain of sovereignty and rule. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So when our generation passes and the next one comes, God is still reigning. When we're all six feet under the ground, which it's coming for us, God is still reigning. In a thousand years, if this thing keeps going and we are in a sense, the early church, let's imagine 10,000 years, uh, the world is still in existence and we let historians look back and say, oh yeah, you know, 2022, that was the early church. God is still ruling in 10,000 years, no matter what nations rise and fall or what kings uh, are disposed of and which ones come into power, no matter what government coups happen, God's kingdom is enduring from generation to generation. And then here's Nebuchadnezzar's confession. He receives his sanity back after seven years of uh, having the mind of an animal, it says his nails grew like that of an eagle, or I'm sorry, of, a, of some kind of animal, and his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle. And he, he was eating grass like an animal. And God one day restores his sanity. And this is his realization. When my sanity came to me, I blessed the most high and praised. And, and by the way, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon was the most powerful nation in the world at the time. This is the highest man of the highest kingdom of that time. There were no other kings above Nebuchadnezzar. And so what was his conclusion? I praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. That would be angels and demons. And among the inhabitants of the earth, that's us. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can stop God's purposes and no one can say to God when his purposes are working out, what have you done, God? No one, in other words, no one can call God into account because he is the Lord. He is the ruler of all human history and current history and future events. God's dominion and rule spans all of human history from the beginning with let there be and the end whenever that happens. God is ruling and reigning all of the events, all of them. 
Now, I don't know about you. I have an iPhone, and when I you know, swipe to the right, it shows the most current stories. And it's amazing how many stories appear every day. It's like headline after headline after headline after headline after headline after week after month after year after year. Is anyone else like bombarded every day with some new crazy thing happening? And, and the temptation is, who's ruling the world with all this madness? And the answer is God. He's allowing sin to play out and he's allowing human beings to, re- to rebel his rule and reign for a time. This is what Psalm 2 says. Why do the nations rage? Why why do the people plot in vain? The word vain means empty. Their plotting is empty. And and the advice is, bow to the sun and kiss his ring lest you make him angry. Who do you think the sun is? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now listen, I'm, I'm speaking very clearly and boldly here. Okay, and, and you guys have appreciated that so far. So don't, don't stop on me now, all right? I, I plan to tell it like it is, and then we can wrestle through it in counseling this week, okay? So please, just receive it, feel the tension and the pain, and let's talk about it later in the week, all right? So now, let's move on from verse one. And I literally have 18 minutes left. I'm on the first page, guys. We're gonna have to probably do two parts here. Would that be okay if we... All right, because there's no way, no way we're getting through this. No way. All right, so no authority, government, government official, or otherwise exists outside of God's authority. Verse two, (laughs) therefore, so in conclusion to this truth, what's the truth? There is no authority outside of God. Therefore, because of that truth, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Man, that's a harsh statement. And, and it also needs unpacking and nuance. Okay? Because here's how we interpret the Bible. We interpret Scripture in light of other Scripture. And so if there are other Scriptures that seem, seem to contradict other Scripture, we must bring all the variety of Scriptures together and then make a reasoned judgment based on all of them. Amen? That's biblical hermeneutics. We take all the Bible, because it's one author, the Holy Spirit, in 66 books, written over 1,500 years, but all by the Holy Spirit, and all non-contradictory. Okay, so Ephesians 1.11 says this, look. In him, the in him is Jesus. In him, we, Christians, the church, have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose. Now look at this. Purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So get get the picture. Boardroom. God sitting down to take counsel with who? Himself. And his purposes will prevail. What are his purposes? Whatever comes to pass. R.C. Sproul used to say, there is no such thing as a maverick molecule in the universe. If there were one molecule that escaped God's grasp, he is not God. Therefore, everything that happens in your life, friend, good or bad, is according to God's purpose. Everything that happens on a macro level with governments and policies and big events and catastrophic events, all of it under God's sovereign purposes, according to the counsel of his will. And there's many texts I could pull out on this, but again, I'm already running out of time. So Proverbs 21.1 applies this to kings, or we could say presidents or senators or congressmen and women or Supreme Court justices. The king's heart, because remember, when Proverbs was written, it was kings, it was monarchy, right? And what the king said went, period. He issues a death sentence, no protesting, no getting away from it, no trial, just dead. Okay, that's the ancient rule. But here, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. So I don't know if you've done this, but sometimes when I wash my hands, I like to make a little cup and you can kind of direct the water a little bit, just playing in the water. Yeah, I'm weird like that. That's the picture. 
God is taking the decisions of kings and governments that affect millions of people and he's just turning it wherever he wants. That's the picture here. That all that is happening on high that we are just subject to is subject to God. God moves through the movers according to his will. Friends, this is what I want you to have at the rock bottom of your thinking and processing and worldview. Why? Because it's biblical, but number two, because you can sleep at night if God's in control. If God is ruling and reigning, even through the terrible trials and troubles of your life, you can sleep. And you know that because God is good and loving, there must be a good purpose in it that I just can't see yet. And maybe in time, he'll show me what he's doing. But you can rest in the sovereign power and will of God, personally and in a macro sense. Now, I do want to talk about this. Remember what Romans said here. Number two, therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists what God has appointed for those who resist will incur judgment. Now, again, we have to be nuanced with this and we have to bring other scripture to bear. There are times where it's biblical to resist the government, right? Amen. But doesn't that seem to, what I just said, doesn't that seem to contradict that? Okay, so here's one case in Acts 5 where the apostles resist the governing authorities called the Sanhedrin. They were the, uh, the, the Supreme Court of Israel at the time. Yes, under Roman rule, but yet they were able uh, to rule Jerusalem under Roman rule. You ready? Here it is. Acts 5, 28 to 32. Now, uh, the apostles are put in prison and an angel lets them out and says, you go preach. And so they do it. They go out and they preach in public again after being told, you may not preach in the name of Jesus. And they're like, we're going to do it anyway. And so they do. And they get arrested a second time. And here's where we pick up on the Sanhedrin's declaration to them. So they're in court right now, the apostles. And here's what the Sanhedrin says. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Do not teach in the name of Jesus. Have I made you clear? Have I made myself clear to you, rather? <laughs> now, would Paul come along and say, hey, no resistance, guys. Romans 13, 2. No resistance. You have, yet here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Why? Because it really was upon them. <laughs> and they really did. They proclaimed this good news, this gospel, throughout all Jerusalem. But, the, but Peter and the apostles, Peter speaks for all of them. We must obey God rather than man. Here's what's happening here. This is how we can judge whether we can resist or not. If there is clear commands in scripture and earthly governments contradict the clear commands of scripture, who has more authority? God. And so here, as we just saw before, there is no other authority other than Jesus. Remember, he told them right before he ascended, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and you make disciples. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Holy Spirit. You teach them to obey all I commanded. They're here obeying Jesus. And here, this earthly authority says, no more. You obey us. You don't obey God. And so what do they say? Whose authority is higher? God's. Therefore, okay, here, here's Jonathan Lehman. I so appreciate him. I would be so happy if every one of you would either read or listen to his book, Why Do the Nations Rage? It's a great book, fantastic book. Every one of you should get it. Sadly, it's not in the bookstore, but you can get it on Hoopla for free and listen to it or read it, okay? And here, uh, the idea is we must obey God rather than man. And Jonathan Lehman has this helpful way to determine. He says, there are issues in government and issues in policy that can, you can draw straight lines to scripture. 
Okay. And we know if there's straight lines from scripture, we know what the right or the wrong is. And I'll give you a, a powder keg example, abortion. Okay. I, I understand that we're all in varying degrees of maturity here. And so I want to help you biblically. You ready? Okay. The Bible clearly says in Psalm 139 that God knew David in his mother's womb, and every one of his days were recorded before one of them took place. And my question is, if they're in the womb and God knows them, how can they not be a person? And if you kill a person in a womb, what is that? You're violating one of the Ten Commandments. Now, I understand that is outrageous to say in some circles, but there is many texts we can draw straight lines to that issue. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29, one of your favorite verses. I knew you from your mother's womb, and I had a plan for you. If they're not people, how can God know them? And we can't draw this arbitrary line like trimesters equal personhood. No, God says if they're in the womb, They're his purpose, and they are people. Therefore, friends, Christians should be utterly against abortion. Now, I understand. If you've never thought through that biblically, you need to do that. And we have tons of resources. I can sit down with you and talk through that with you. But that should not be an issue uh, that Christians debate. It should not be, because it's so clear in the Bible. So clear. Now, Jagged line issues, again, referring to Jonathan Lehman, like what should we do with various taxes and how much should we be taxed and should there be a flat tax and should there be sales tax and local tax and that is all jagged line and you cannot draw straight lines from scripture unless you're arguing for theonomy, which we do not. Okay, so you can see when there's clear biblical text that draw straight lines to political issues, we should resist when they are against the scripture. Amen? Okay. And there will be multitude, I think, in the coming years where Christians in business and Christians just functioning in society are going to have to think much more deeply and much more biblically about how we interact with cultural mandates and the Bible and its authority versus our boss's authority or the bank's policy or Amazon's policy or whatever. And praise God, religious liberty seems to be being upheld because we're still allowed to worship and we're still allowed to uh, hold our convictions, okay? So that being said, friends, we, if you're a biblical Christian, you should be happy that Roe v. Wade is overturned, though that's not going to stop abortions. You realize that, right? All that's doing is kicking it to each state and each state's government, and now they get to choose. It doesn't end anything, but it's something, it's something. Okay? And we can talk through that again. I said, I'm going to offend some of you in here. If you're offended by that, please come talk to me and let me gently with gentleness and respect open that up for you. Okay? I want to argue biblically with you and show you how that is a Bible issue, not just a cultural political issue. Okay? And then for some of you in here, uh, this is real personal. And so I want to advocate for you that, listen, there is forgiveness And God loves, listen to me, friends, God loves women who've had abortions. And that is a forgivable sin. Amen? And so we should also be quick to forgive and not quick to punish or persecute or attack. Amen? And so we as Christians should get good at counseling people in that issue, not good at attacking those who are on the other side. Okay? All right, so that's where we want to be as a church. We want to be advocates for mothers and single mothers and those who feel like they have to make that choice because it's best for them and for their child. So we want to be advocates for them and serve them, okay? All right, they're not our enemies. All right, I got five minutes and I'm still on page one, guys. This is crazy. It's okay. Now, How do we know if there's not a clear biblical text, but there's biblical inferences where we can resist? Okay, this is a good question to ask. Well, there are many implications from Genesis 1, 26 and 27. 
And, and we'll open this one up. So God creates man and women in his own image. He says, let us make man. That word man is Adam, but in, in Hebrew, it means mankind. That's why that H is there. Uh, in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. That means rulership. God made humans to rule the earth. They are over everything God has made, except angels and God himself. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Human beings are the only creatures made in God's image. What does that even mean? It's, it takes books to unpack. In every way that humans reflect God, we are in God's image. That's what it means. We can love, we understand justice, we create, uh, we, we, we feel sorrow, we feel happy and joy. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways we are in the image of God. But this alone gives us dignity and respect and listen, equality. And so many of you know, uh, America, though it proclaimed in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal, it certainly did not live that out with slavery and with segregation, right? And so one of the main, most famous resistors who we now see as a hero was Martin Luther King Jr. And by the way, did you know that his father named him Martin after Martin Luther, the great reformer? Didn't know if you knew that. Interesting. So I have read or listened to letters from a Birmingham jail multiple times. And I would encourage you to read that letter from Birmingham jail. Let me just see how many of you have read or listened to that. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. More of you need to read it. It's very short. It's like an hour audio. It would be well worth your time to listen to it because uh, he unpacks the reality of what it was like living in the South under segregation. And he's writing it to white Christian clergy who were unwilling to resist segregation. And they just wanted King and his protesters to stop. Just, you're causing too much trouble, stop. Okay? And so King wrote this. How do we know if a law is unjust if it's not absolutely clear in the Bible? You ready? This is a great, great insight. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Okay, by personality, I think he means the image of God. Personhood, personality, personhood. So he says, any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that degrades human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregated a false sense of inferiority, which is unbiblical. Biblically, all people groups, all ethnicities are created what? In the image of God, meaning we're all on the same plane. When we segregate and we allow some people to go in the front and then we make other people go in the back, or we say, you have to sit in the back, or you can't go into this place. Friends, what that's saying is, you're not equal to me, and I'm better. And it should have never happened, but praise God, it's not the case anymore. Why? Because of people like Dr. King, and those who followed in his peaceful, nonviolent, resistant tactics. And so was it, unbe- could, could we have said to Dr. King, Romans 13 too, Romans 13 too, doesn't it say don't resist the governing authorities? Segregation is from the government. No, I think King was right to say no, no, that is an unjust law that violates scripture and we should oppose it. Now, that kind of reasoning takes wisdom. And sinful hearts would like to say, well, I don't like that law and I think that law degrades personality and that law... So we're not technically free to just decide what laws degrade human personality, the image of God. However, wisdom and conscience is the answer there. Okay, we with me? And literally we have 40 seconds left. And we're, we're not out of verse two. 
Mm, should we do another verse or not? One more? All right, let's do it. All right. You asked for it, right? We're not going to unpack all of it. This is going to be a two-part message for sure. Okay, so we'll, we'll end here with verse three and four. Is that fair? Let me see a vote. Come on, this is very democratic. All right, excellent. Very democratic. Majority wins. Excellent. All right, so verse three and four. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Wow. So I want to show you here, both in scripture, that wicked, evil kings, God calls them his servant to show that this is not just isolated here to Romans 13. But then also I want to unpack some implications and then we'll shut it down and we'll kick back in uh, in a few weeks with Romans 6 or uh, 13, 6. Is that cool? All right, so let's do that. So Jeremiah 27, 6. So Jeremiah is prophesying Israel's idolatry and God is coming in judgment and the judgment is going to come through Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. That's what Jeremiah is about. And so Jeremiah the prophet uh, speaks for God and here's a declaration in 27, 6. I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Wait, isn't that the same Nebuchadnezzar that set up that 90-foot golden statue in his image and demanded worship and whoever wouldn't worship gets thrown into the fiery oven? Yeah, that one. God says, my servant. What does that mean? That means that God is sovereign over all rulers, whether they're leaning more biblical or leaning far away, violating even the first commandment. They're all his rulers. They're all his servants, friends. That's the point. There is no governing authority outside of God's sovereign purpose and will. Again, get that at the rock bottom of your thinking. Then in Jeremiah 43, 10, and say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, this is God speaking here, the God of Israel, behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, And I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden and he will spread his royal canopy over them. That's just poetic language for saying Nebuchadnezzar is going to rule and reign over everything. And he did. He did. All right, now one more from the New Testament. We use a lot of Old Testament here, man. What about the New Testament? All right, here you go. Luke 2, 1 to 2. You know this. We like Luke. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the Roman ruler. And by the way, the Caesar of Rome was the top authority at the time. There was no one under the Roman Caesar. And by the way, when Paul wrote Romans, do you know who the Caesar was? Nero. One of the most wicked, cruel, and foul Roman emperors that ever existed. Well, I could unpack some stuff, but there's kids in the room. If you want to know some of the stuff that uh, Nero used to do to people, uh, it was straight up demonic and sexually perverted like crazy. And yet no one checked him on it because he was the most high in authority at the time. And by the way, when Paul wrote to the Romans, he was the Roman emperor. And when Paul said submit to the governing authorities, who was the governing authority? Nero. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, how many of you hate the censuses? I'm not giving the government any information. You don't need to know who's in my house and how old they are and what color I am. Right? That's you, right? No. No census. As if they don't have your security, you know, your social security number already. As if you don't file taxes every year. As if they don't have Google already listening to your house through your TV and your Netflix. I mean, come on. They know everything. They know everything. 
So here, I'm, I'm assuming like we resist censuses, they probably resist censuses. I'm not giving that Caesar anything. He doesn't need to know. And why did he want to know? Well, he wanted taxes, tax purposes. That all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when uh, Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, you know, Luke, he was very meticulous in, in his details because it was an eyewitness account and he was basically documenting uh, history. He was like a historian. Well, did you know that this was prophesied way before it happened? Because Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem in the city of David, and this decree went out for more than this reason, but definitely for this reason, so that Mary and Joseph would go all the way to Bethlehem to be registered, and it just so happened that she had the baby while she was there for the census being registered. And here, though Caesar Augustus is not even thinking about the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, he's fulfilling them. Isn't that amazing? And this is how God governs and rules. Governors and presidents and senators and congressmen and women make decisions, and yet they have no idea that they are deciding for God and accomplishing his will. Yet we know. We know. And we can take comfort in that God is in control. Now, rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but for bad. Now, this is the common grace understanding of government. You remember from several weeks ago, we talked about the three spheres that God sets up and he provides authority within the three spheres. Number one, the home, the smallest form of authority. And parents are given the rod of discipline. Now the rod uh, was, yes, like a rod to beat the kids into submission in Proverbs, but it represents authority. Parents have God-given authority over their kids. That's what it means. And they're instructed to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. In other words, uh, just because you're dad in the home doesn't mean you get to smack the kids around and make them mad. No. And we can, we can unpack that. It's a whole other sermon series, okay? But in the home, parents have authority from God. Meaning, when government tries to come in, yes, and try to take authority of the kids, is there any biblical text that we should resist that? Yes and amen. Okay, that's home. Then church is another place that God sets up where there's authority. Elders and pastors, yes, have authority, but it's authority to serve. The greatest among you shall be the servant of all. And the keys to the kingdom in Matthew 16 and 18, Dave spoke on this a bit last week, are given to the church as authority to either affirm a profession of faith or to say, no, your profession of faith is not valid and credible. And we declare you from what we can see to be an unbeliever and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's authority from God in the church. Okay. And then government. Government is the third sphere that God sets up and gives authority to. Now, where is the sanction for government authority for military, for police, for lawyers, well, not lawyers, for judges. Lawyers make arguments to the judges. The judges are the ones who actually have authority. And then you have governors and and mayors and right here. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Did you know that good government always blesses the people? It never harms or oppresses the people. It always blesses them. And did you know that when Jesus comes to rule, it will be a blessing to the whole earth? Jesus is not going to come and stomp on people for his own uh, uplifting. He's already as high as you can go. He comes to share and bless and do good. He's going to beat the weapons of war into farming equipment and to the end of his peaceful government, there won't be one. Thinking about Christmas right now. So here, uh, in a good governmental system, common grace, which means this grace goes to everybody, uh, you will get in trouble if you go into JCPenney's and steal a shirt, which, by the way, I have and I've paid the fine. In a good government, you'll go into hills. Yes, I'm old enough to remember hills. And yes, I'm old enough to have gotten caught shoplifting at hills. Okay? And, and I 
had to pay a fine and the police showed up and I was wrong. How many of you have ever got a speeding ticket? Come on, I've gotten many. Yeah, look at that, see? Now, now God has given police authority to write tickets. You know why? Because no one likes 25 miles an hour. But you know what? People come flying down my street doing like 45, and it's like a 50-foot street. And imagine if there was no speed limit at all. The speed limit is 25 on my street. Man, I could just see people hitting the turn. Down the street, my kids run out to grab a Frisbee. Gone. How many of you can't stand 55 or 65 or 70? Whatever, whatever the sign says. I resist that. Diminishing my personality. <laughs> it's diminishing the image of God. Therefore, I decide what the speed limit is. Right? No, that's not how we get to play the king card. No, we don't do that. Friends, the, the governing authorities set what they think for whatever reason it was established at the time are reasonable speed limits so that people are safe. And I could tell you stories of foolish driving on my account and praise God, no one ever died. It's amazing. Because okay? I was a fool. I had one story. I had a geoprism on the Ohio Turnpike. You remember what geoprisms were? Those little tiny things that if you like knocked on it too hard, you dented it because the metal was so thin. So, so I got five people in a geoprism, four cylinder, the needles buried at 115, bouncing off it. Do, 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 meaning who knows how fast I was going. And you know, I'm like 19 and I'm invincible and friends in the car just loving it. And I look in the rear view mirror and I'm like, is that a police officer? And so I hit the brakes to 70 and all of a sudden it was like, it was like a uh, hyper speed in Star, in Star Wars. <laughs> like he was right on my tail. And man, he pulled me over and he was livid, livid. I mean, fired up and rightfully so. And you know why? When, when I rolled down the window, I'm like, uh, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> I was driving over 100 miles an hour and I couldn't catch you. How fast were you going? And so my ticket read, reckless driving with speeds excessing 100 miles an hour. And because I was in Ohio, it was like a $130 ticket, no points. <laughs> I didn't lose my license. And trust me, I never buried the needle at 115 again. Okay, and that police officer had the right to pull me over and the right to find me, and he should have probably done worse, to be honest with you. But he was probably merciful in not taking my license right there. And I'm, a couple of police officers in the room are like, oh, you can't take it. We'll have to discuss that later. I don't know. Anyway, the reason that there are laws and the reason that there are authority structures in place to enforce the laws are for our good, even if we don't like them. Okay? And in a good working society, people obey the laws and we can go into a restaurant without fear of people coming in and robbing us without recourse. We can walk down our street hoping that someone's not going to triple the speed limit. We can maybe drive our car on the right side of the road, trusting that other people are going to drive on their side of the road, Right? because that's a law. You don't cross this yellow line and you stay to the right. Okay. All right. And, and on and on I could go, but here's, here's verse four, or I'm sorry. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Do what is good and you'll receive his approval. Now this is a general rule. Okay. I get that there are corruption uh, on all levels of enforcing law. Okay, I've experienced them in another country. I, I mean, I've told you guys these stories about being in Uganda. Uh, we got pulled over one time, and it was like, who's got the camera? And it was actually me. I was the one taking pictures. Where, who got the camera? Let me see the photos. And I had my bag of electronics, and I had expensive stuff in between my legs, and the military with bullets like Rambo, and a big old, some kind of automatic weapon. I don't even know what it was. It was like wide-eyed screaming at me, where's the camera? And so I stuck it under my leg. I'm not getting my camera. <laughs> but my fear was in the bag is like 10 times worth the camera. So after he interrogated everybody in the car, I, I was like, hey, I got the phone. Look, here's what I'll do. I'll take out the pictures right now and I'll delete them in front of you. He was like, no, no, no. Calm down immediately. Took our driver out who is Ugandan and they're having a little talk in back of the car. And he comes back to the window and he's like shaking his head and he's like, 
He wants 10,000. Now, 10,000 shillings in U.S. dollars is less than $3. Because it's 3,700 to one. So it was like, dude, give him the 10,000 and let's get out of here. All he wants is three bucks. Just give it to him. And that happened multiple times. But listen, if all we got to pay is $3, $5, $10 here to play, let's, let's play the game. Okay. But that's corruption. We weren't doing anything wrong. In fact, uh, the white Westerner American girl, when he was interrogating, she was like, I don't see any signs. It doesn't say we can't take pictures. You know what he said? I'm the sign. <laughs> and, uh, and my Ugandan friend's like, no, 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 sir, don't listen to her. Please, just don't listen to her. Because <laughs> he knows. He knows. You don't mess with these guys. Okay? And yes, six of us are going there in October. But don't worry. I've been there twice. I know how to play the game. We'll have a local with us. He'll play the game for us. It'll be okay. All right? Pray for us. Anyway, that being said, for the most part, the, those who enforce the law are to punish the bad and reward the good. And if you're doing bad, then you shouldn't be upset that you get punished for it. If you're doing 115 and a 65, you shouldn't be mad that you get a ticket. If you're stealing from Macy's or from Aldi or wherever and you get caught, you shouldn't be mad. You're, thou shalt not steal. They should punish you. Okay? And, and on and on I could go, but you get the idea here. Okay? This is a principle. I understand there are unjust and corrupted officials, leave them to God. For the most part, those who enforce the law are for the good. If you remove those who enforce the law, the society becomes lawless and nothing functions. And, and if you want proof of that, here's a very artistic way of proving it. Go rent the movie Book of Eli. How many of you have seen that great Denzel Washington movie? That's a great picture of a lawless society. Whoever has the weapons and the guns and the power gets to rule. And those who don't are just subject to hide and scramble and scrape. Okay? Go watch it. It is rated R, but it's not foul. Okay? It's one of those bloody movies, and they got a rated R because of the blood. All right, verse four. You guys good with me finishing? All right. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The sword is the authority to punish. And the idea here is military are not wrong when they're enforcing their sword. Police are not wrong when they're enforcing their sword. If Again, it's just, if the law is just and it's not corruption like I just described, okay? Was what we experienced in Uganda just? No, God will deal with them, okay? And God has given governments the sword to punish evildoers. And so the idea here is, what Paul's really saying here is like, listen, Christians at Rome, listen, Christians beyond Rome, let's agree with the government and let's spread the gospel and let's not try to overthrow and resist and cause riots, and let's work with the governments, knowing that all the while God is ruling through the governing authorities, okay? Now, I don't have time to unpack the rest. In fact, I wanted to say more on verse four and five, but man, we're way past time. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate communion right now. This is part one. In two, two weeks, we'll do part two, Okay. How do we think about Jesus in terms of authority and government? Well, humble and humility. Jesus, though he had all authority, he does right now still have all authority. Friends, he gave up that authority and even submitted himself to unjust rulers and Roman soldiers and even his own Jewish Sanhedrin. Why? so that you and I could be freed from all of our sins, all of our trespasses. Every time we've violated in a wrong way the governing authorities, which are instituted by God, God himself in the person of Jesus absorbed that debt, subjecting himself 
to governing authorities. Do you remember when Jesus was uh, in Pilate's kind of interrogation room? And he said, are you a king? Did you come up with this on your own or did someone tell you? It is as you say, was Jesus' conclusion. And the idea here is you would have no authority unless it was given you by God. We'll unpack that in two weeks. But Jesus even subjected himself to Pilate in a unjust court situation, knowing and declaring you would have no authority over me right now if it wasn't given you from God. Yet I submit myself to your authority because God is actually ruling through you right now for my execution. Because he knew it would cause the salvation of all his people across all time. Isn't that amazing? And this is not only a model for us, but this was done for us really that we might be forgiven of our sins. The whole process had to take place from being arrested to being falsely accused by the Sanhedrin to being passed off to the Roman authorities to being uh, taken away to be hung on a Roman cross. All unjust, all wrong. It was the worst sin ever committed. And yet Jesus subjected himself to it that it might be our salvation. Friends, this is our good news to tell. And we are saved because of that act of what Jesus accomplished on the cross.